called the black man is God. It's called the black man is God. Next hour. This is for the children. You know what I'm saying? I got this idea from myself, of course. But this is for the children. I got. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Jay Hicks is back for another edition of the Hip Hop Sports Report podcast. This is the 2021 edition of the podcast, y'all. Welcome. Happy New Year. Not really Happy New Year, but you just have to say it. You know what I mean? This is the first time I've talked to y'all since then. So uh, it's actually Monday, January 25th. Your boy just celebrated a birthday a couple days ago. So feeling pretty good about things. Had some some just uh, some amazing stuff happen uh, personally of late. So just really, really excited and really, really happy. And I'm happy to be talking to y'all once again, man. It's been a little bit, but I wanted to make sure I got at y'all. Um, we're coming at y'all with a podcast today, all sports. Um, no hip hop And I got some stuff about the hip hop thing That I want to get off my chest and, I, and I'll share that at a later date But uh, given the time of year Figured it would be a good idea to, to dive into some to some football and basketball uh, And I got a lot to say uh, Your boy has been seething over here With takes <laughs> And I'm just about to start doling them out Like a blackjack dealer in Vegas man Takes is coming it, it's, it's coming it's, it's about to be a storm Winter storm warning up in here there's so much to get to i, I want to touch a little bit about uh kyrie irving gonna touch a little bit on james harden gonna touch a little bit on patrick mahomes and we're gonna touch on tom brady but before we do that I want to make sure that y'all get at us twitter.com slash hhs report facebook.com slash hhs report we're on itunes we're on stitcher uh, we've been in this podcast game for a little bit now, and we're still available in those venues and on those platforms. So go ahead and, and get at us. The website, again, is hiphopsportsreport.com. I'm taking a victory lap, y'all. I've, I've, I've done it before <laughs> on the podcast here. I've taken a few victory laps before. Um, really quickly, as I, as I pull up uh, the, the numbers, I don't, even, I don't even have them in front of me right yet. As far as uh, what we are predicting NFL playoff games, in the 2020 season for the 2021 playoffs looks like uh we are now 10 and 2 in 12 games overall picking them straight up and we are 9 2 and 1 against the spread get your weight up i hope y'all made some money off these picks man because i'm just we're just giving game away every week on the on the on the website on the podcast i'm just i'm just giving so much game away historically i'm well above 500 uh picking these games um to be exact it looks like all time I'm 67 and 33 picking games all time since we started this. Uh, I think what was it 2013 playoffs? I believe it was was the first time we started picking games since the 2013 playoffs. 67 and 33 all time. I pick upsets all the time. I picked one again yesterday. Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers went into Lambeau Field. All Tom Brady did was he took a Florida team, the losingest franchise. In the history of major American professional sports, they have the lowest winning percentage, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Undisciplined, rudderless franchise. Led the league in penalties last year. Led the league in turnovers last year. Brady goes down there, snaps his fingers, flips the culture, and he's got him in the Super Bowl. It's really not that different from what he did when he first got to New England, because as I've pointed out on numerous occasions, 
Tom Brady, as a redshirt freshman in the NFL, won the Super Bowl. He sat out one year. He got the job at the beginning of the second season. Boom, Super Bowl. Okay, that's what he did. He was a kid, and that's what he did. Now, granted, was he the driving force behind that Super Bowl? Was he the primary reason why they won that Super Bowl? No, probably not. You can you can make that case. But the numbers, in terms of the number of wins that he rattled off as a starter, his performance in the tuck rule game, which if you go back and look up his numbers in overtime, uh, in the fourth quarter and overtime of that game when they were trailing by 10, uh, they got a break on that call, but I guess it was officiated correctly by the letter of the law, but they got a break on that on that play for sure. But Brady was magnificent in the fourth quarter and overtime of that game. He was very good in the beginning of the Pittsburgh game, uh, in the AFC Championship game on the road until he got injured uh, right at the half. Bledsoe came in and mop-up duty and helped finish out the Steelers. And then, of course, he had the game-winning drive Brady did in Super Bowl 36 against the Rams. Well, now here we go. Fast forward. He leaves the nest of New England, finally. And he has an opportunity to go out on his own. We're on record as saying that what happens this year alone does not break the tie or whatever. It's not going to tell the story about who is more, who was more, who was the larger reason behind the Patriots dynasty and success between Brady and Bill Belichick. This season tells us nothing in regards to that discussion. We're on record as saying that. We, We wrote a whole piece about it before the start of the season. And the main reason why this season doesn't tell us anything is because we already had ample evidence, ample evidence, ample evidence that already told us the answer to this question. When Bill Belichick had been a head coach for roughly seven full seasons, Without Tom Brady as his quarterback, if you add all the games up, all the games in Cleveland and all the games in New England that Brady wasn't the starter, if you add all those games up, you got about seven full seasons of evidence. Belichick is sub 500. Like, we already knew that before this season. Brady walks in, and when he's given a shot at Michigan, he took Michigan to the Orange Bowl, threw four touchdowns, no picks, and led two 14-point comebacks in that game, his final game as a college player. And then, of course, he works his way up to be the starter in New England. He finally gets the job in his second season, instantly wins the Super Bowl, goes on to become the winningest player in the history of football, in the 100-year history of the sport. And then this year, he leaves, goes down to Tampa, Florida. This this franchise that I just spoke of a minute ago, just, just lost in the sauce franchise, the creamsicle suckineers. You grew up, you couldn't name three people on their team when I was growing up. It was, it was Testaverde and... That was it. Like, you, you didn't know anybody else on their team. And what happens? He instantly takes them to the promised land. You cannot understate the magnitude of that accomplishment. Win or lose in the Super Bowl. That accomplishment alone was incredible. Now, Brady didn't play great yesterday. He had three interceptions in the second half. At least one or two of them were on him, for sure. I think you could make the case that the first one was situational and that it wasn't a good read by Tom, but it was a bad decision by the Bucks, uh Byron Leftwich, the offensive coordinator, or Bruce Arians, to throw it deep in that situation. Uh, so maybe there was some shared responsibility on that one. The second one, it hit Mike Evans in the hands, but it was high. I, I put that one on Tom. The third one, I'd also put on Tom. And, and, there's, and there's a reason for that and and i'll get to that a little bit later when i talk about the super bowl but he was brady was brilliant in the first half and 
as as bad as he looked in the second half, he was just as good in the first half and the first play of the third quarter, which was a touchdown pass to Cameron Brake, which really extended the lead after Green Bay fumbled on the opening possession of the third quarter. So when you add that together, he basically played one excellent half and one pretty poor half of football. But Tom still made the timely plays, even in the second half when he was struggling and the offense was struggling and they couldn't get it going. They're turning the ball over at an alarming rate. He still managed to make the plays that he needed to make to win the game. There was a, a key drive that nobody's really talking about that kind of settled them, things down a little bit. It kept the defense, their own defense, Tampa's that is, off the field and let them catch their breath a little bit. Brady hit a pass to Godwin over the middle for a slant for about 12 yards. And then, or in route, and then there was a, a screen press to Gronkowski that went for about 30 yards. Uh, I'm not going to give Brady a ton of credit for throwing the screen pass, but the point is, is that Brady and the Bucks offense made a couple of plays on that drive that allowed them to milk some significant time off the clock to give their defense a breather, to settle the team down, and they got three points out of it. They didn't, they didn't get the touchdown that they were looking for, but they did get three points out of it, which made it an eight-point ball game and really forced the hand of the Packers coming down the field on, on that what would be the second to final drive of the game. I said on the website, and I'm doing this freehand. I'm freestyling off the dome, y'all. I don't have any notes in front of me. I have some notes in my phone, but you see the talent. <laughs> but um, when the Packers got the ball back and started going down the field, what you saw was, and you know, I had a lot of people saying to me that you know Aaron Rodgers outplayed Tom Brady yesterday, which I think is a fair thing to say for sure. I mean, you know, Rodgers was solid. He threw for over 300 yards, three TDs, one pick. Um, but the difference is, is that there was still some timely plays that needed to be made that Rodgers, for whatever reason, was not able to make. Right? We saw that. Brady throws a pick. Green Bay goes down and scores. Closes the lead. I, I believe that made it like a one-possession game. Brady throws another pick. Three and out. He throws another pick three and out again for the Packers golden opportunities for Green Bay to make something happen and they didn't do anything with it and this was like a chips are down situation it's the second half you're at home you're favored the pressure's on you these are all things that I wrote about in the AFC NFC championship or or column I should say on the website it was dated January 23rd 23rd excuse me in that piece I talked about can you trust the Packers when the chips are down, when the pressure's on? They're expected to win this game. I even remarked in the week before, in the, the column that I wrote the week before when they played the Rams. I picked the Packers to win that game, but I said, hold up, y'all. Know that the Packers are not to be trusted in this situation. They are not to be trusted, just like the Saints. I picked the Packers to go to the Super Bowl on more than one occasion in the last five or six years. I'm done with it. I was done with it. I'm like, I'm not picking these dudes to make that run again because they have, they proved that they haven't been able to do it since 2010 when they beat a backup quarterback in the NFC championship game and got into the Super Bowl and won it. And so I'm just, I'm sitting here like, okay, why, what is it that green Bay has done that I'm supposed to just give them the benefit of the doubt? They haven't earned it. They got smoked by the 49ers in the NFC championship game last year. They got smoked by the Falcons in the NFC championship game about three or four years ago. They, gagged a game away against the Seahawks in the NFC Championship game. That was about five or six years ago. So why is it that 
we're just supposed to assume that they're better, quote unquote. I saw that all last week, just like I'm seeing it this week about Kansas City and Tampa. Kansas City is, quote unquote, better. Green Bay, they said the same thing about the Packers. Now, the difference is that Kansas City's actually done some things to earn that distinction. All the Packers did was win a bunch of games during the regular season, um, you know, they and mostly against halfway decent competition at best. They were a 500 team against really good teams, and they got destroyed by Tampa Bay when they went down there in, to Florida to play them in October. But based off of that, and based off the fact that Aaron Rodgers racks up all these numbers, throwing 50 touchdowns against the Lions in September, just like Peyton Manning used to do. He racks up a ton of touchdowns against Jacksonville when the, when the weather's warm, and I'm supposed to call him the GOAT. You know what I'm saying? Aaron Rodgers needed to come correct a little bit more, and I'm not saying he's not great. He's, he's a brilliant quarterback, and I think you could make the argument that in a lot of games, in a lot of instances, his performance yesterday would have been good enough to win. I even said in the column that I wrote on the 23rd that the winner of this game would be the team with the better defense because I feel like Brady and Rodgers, you know, they might make mistakes here and there, but it usually it's not because of them. They themselves are, are making mistakes. It's, it's because the other team's defense makes a play. And we saw that. We saw Murphy bunting make an interception on Rodgers at the end of the half, and they were able to convert it, which, by the way, there was a little tug of the jersey on that. I'll, I'll, I'll grant you that. And I got a good buddy of mine, my man Joe. Um, you know, they don't, I didn't nickname you Hubris for nothing, man. Joe Huber <laughs> was going at me all day <laughs> talking about that, the officiating in the NFC Championship game yesterday. And my thing was, okay, I saw calls that should have gone both ways that weren't called. Like I saw, I saw bad officiating that both teams got the short end of the stick of. But that particular play, you can't, you can't say that the whole game was lost on that non-holding call, which resulted in an Aaron Rodgers interception right before the half because the Patriots, excuse me, the Patriots, <laughs> the Buccaneers still had to complete a fourth down conversion at midfield. They still had to complete a 39-yard touchdown pass with eight seconds left. They didn't have any timeouts left. What are they doing out of shotgun? Like, what options were there for them? They're either going to take a quick something on the sideline to get maybe four or five extra yards and try to attempt a long field goal, or they're going to throw it deep. And this is Bruce Arians and the air it out bucks that we know. We know they're going to throw it deep. So the, how you package your defense in a way that you will allow Scotty Miller, shout out to the Bowling Green Falcons, to get behind the defense in that scenario, I don't know what Mike Pettin was thinking. But that's on the Packers. That's not on the officials. That's not on anybody else. That's not on the league screwing y'all over. The officiating was fine yesterday, all right? It was fine. The Packers had a whole half to overcome that missed call and that touchdown that resulted uh, from it, and they didn't. You know, they had their opportunities. They picked off Brady three times in the second half alone and mustered only seven points out of it. That's not the referee's fault. There's a whole game to be played, all right? But what you saw was, you saw Rogers not being able to capitalize on important opportunities when they were there. And, you know, I hate to say it, but that that's kind of what separates Brady from Rogers and Brady from everybody else, because nine and a half times out of 10, when Brady gets those opportunities, he cashes in when he played Atlanta in the Super Bowl, And this is an extreme example, but this is the greatest example. They were down 28 to three with 18 minutes left. And Tom had to be flawless 
in order for them to come back and win that game. And guess what? Tom was flawless. He got some help. Edelman made a spectacular catch. His defense forced a turnover. They got a fumble on Matt Ryan. But what happened after that? They turned it into a touchdown immediately. And then there was another play where they got uh, where Ryan took a sack and it knocked him out of field goal range late in that game. And, and New England ended up going 90 yards down the field and scoring another touchdown and got two two-point conversions to force overtime before winning it in overtime. Sometimes if you're that great, if you're that great, you just have to elevate sometimes. And that's just kind of what it is. The reason why I've been so hard on Peyton Manning all these years was because time and time again, I was told that he was that guy that was good enough to elevate when the money was on the line. And he just didn't. Okay? He just didn't. Brady does it all the time. When he was down 10 points against the league's best defense in the AFC Championship game in the fourth quarter with half of his thumb sliced off on his throwing hand, did he elevate? He did. And they won the game. Did he elevate when they were down 14? Excuse me, when they were down 10 points to the Legion of Boom in the Super Bowl in the fourth quarter? Yes, he did. He led two touchdown drives to take the lead. And some of y'all will say, well, Marshawn Lynch should have got the ball in the one yard line. Blah, 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 blah. Hey, look, man, Brady can't be responsible for every decision that's made in every game. All right. Pete Carroll made a poor decision on that play. But. And you might say Brady lucked out because they decided to throw the ball and it got picked off. Well, it was luck that Seattle even got the ball down there in the first place because Javon Curtis caught like a 40-yard pass that was a straight luck play. If you go back and look at the tape, uh, not Javon Curse, that was the freak. Jermaine Curse. Jermaine Curse was the receiver that Malcolm Butler defended him well and the ball got bobbled and somehow Curse still made the catch. And it was like a 30 or 40-yard pickup that got them in position to score that touchdown that was purely luck. So don't talk to me about luck because luck goes both ways, okay? What doesn't go both ways is the ability to elevate when your team needs you most. And that's what we see from Tom Brady time and time again. He is the culture changer. He is the antidote, okay? People still don't get it. They still want to argue with me about Rodgers' arm talent, Peyton Manning's brain, you know, and when we talk about who's the best football players ever, I got another buddy of mine, my man, Terry Palmer. Shout out to Terry. I love you, bro. Terry tells me all the time that Brady's the, he might be the best quarterback ever, but he's not the best football player. What? <laughs> and then he starts bringing up names like Bo Jackson. It's like, they don't talk about Bo Jackson when they're talking about how great Peyton Manning is. They don't talk about Michael Vick and Bo Jackson when they talk about how great Patrick Mahomes is. But when it's Brady, all of a sudden, the ability to run fast comes into the equation. No, Tom Brady is the greatest football player that ever lived. I've said that on numerous occasions on this podcast and on the website. He's the greatest American team sports athlete that ever lived. He is a greater football player than Michael Jordan was a basketball player. I've said that for years. Michael Jordan did not walk into the NBA winning a championship in his second season. He did not win a championship at age 43, 20 years later. He did not go to the finals 10 times. He did not win with different coaches and different systems. He did not win with two different teams. He didn't take two different teams to the Super Bowl. Brady did that. He didn't have, he didn't, Brady's not out here punching teammates. 
You know what I'm saying? Like there is a difference in what we're seeing with this guy in Tampa Bay. And I don't think most people recognize it. That's why I wrote a piece back in March that talked about Brady being a guy in Tampa that you should not bet against. And here we are. He's in the Super Bowl for the 10th time. You cannot wrap your head around 10 Super Bowls. We will never see this again. (laughs) You know what I mean? Look how good Aaron Rodgers is. Think about how dope that guy is. And that guy can only get to one. Do you know how special you have to be to get to 10? Now, yes. Do you need other things around you? Sure. Do you need some good receivers from time to time? Yes. Do you need some other, some other teammates to make a play from time to time? Yes. Do you need some good coaching and good discipline? Yes. Do you need good ownership and good drafting? Yes. These are all things that Brady has had at various points of his career, but not all the time, not every season. He hasn't had this stuff all the time. I watched him drag the worst at the time. It was the worst pass defense in the history of the NFL in terms of yards allowed was the 2012 New England Patriots. He took them to the Super Bowl. They had Julian Edelman playing nickel corner in the Super Bowl against the Giants. That's how awful they were. Brady dragged him to the Super Bowl. We've seen Brady do it without Gronkowski. We've seen him do it without Edelman. We've seen him do it without Randy Moss. He had Randy Moss. He only had him for two years. And he had him on the brink of a Super Bowl in that year that he had him. They were 18-0. We've seen Brady do it with different offensive coordinators. They had a couple of years in there in New England. They didn't even have an offensive coordinator. You can look it up on profootballreference.com. There was no offensive coordinator listed for the Patriots. I think it's like maybe 2007 to 2009. It was, I think, after... I think it was before Bill O'Brien, but after Charlie Weiss left. They didn't even have one. And they were still in the mix for the Super Bowl every year. Throwing a Rache Codwell and, and David Givens, he's winning rings. It's like, y'all have to understand that there's something more to quarterbacking than just your ability to throw the ball. If it was strictly your ability to throw the ball, Michael Vick would have more titles. Aaron Rodgers would have more titles. Dan Marino would have more titles. Josh Allen wouldn't have looked like trash yesterday. Because <laughs> he he's got he's got arm talent. He can throw the ball to the moon and back. Tom Brady is a different breed. He's different than all of these dudes. Okay? That's the point. To take a team that was, I think, seven and nine last year, basically the same roster. They made some draft picks. They got Winfield in the secondary, although he didn't play yesterday. He's been a good rookie. They brought in Antonio Brown. They brought in Gronkowski. But those guys are ancillary pieces. They brought in the ultimate X factor. Tom Brady changed the culture in Tampa Bay. They won three road games to get to the Super Bowl and are now having the ability to host the Super Bowl for the first time. And you know what's funny is that if they lose to Kansas City, which they're not even favored to win the game, but if they lose to Kansas City, Brady's going to get killed for losing on his quote-unquote home field. That's all they're going to say. Like, ah, Brady lost the Super Bowl at home. They're going to throw that up there with with, uh, Vinatieri's kicks and and Spygate and all the other bogus stuff that they use to try to discredit Tom, Deflategate and all that stuff. They're going to say, he lost lost at home. It's going to be nuts, but... Let's switch to the Super Bowl a little bit. So, so in the AFC Championship game, you know, we saw the Kansas City Chiefs. I sent out a tweet maybe in like November that basically spoke to the Chiefs what they were doing, and I'm just like, are we really going to sit here 
and look up and the Chiefs are going to be hoisting the Lombardi Trophy with an 18-1 and record? Like, is that really what's about to happen? And I think they, they actually lost their last game of the season. So I think technically I believe Kansas City finished 14-2 uh, this year. But the point is, is that of the games that they tried to win, <laughs> they only lost once, and that was to the Raiders at home. And other than that, they've won every game. And they've won, I believe now, 25 of the last 26 games. And they've won every game this year that they tried to win. And are we really going to just look up and they're just going to steamroll through the playoffs and we're going to be like, oh, damn. They just went 18 and one. Is this one of the greatest teams of all time? I think that that's possible, right? Earlier when I was saying that I didn't understand how everybody was just giving the benefit of the doubt to Green Bay for being the quote-unquote better team than Tampa. I didn't understand it. I looked at the numbers. Tampa was better across the board defensively. And guess whose defense showed up to play on Sunday? Tampa's. And we know Tampa can score. So, I mean, which team was more balanced? Which team was better overall when you look at it offensively, defensively, and in, in the special teams game? Like, Tampa was Tampa was probably better like they 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 struggled at points during the year it was very up and down but Tampa looked better to me on paper than Green Bay did and they beat them for the second time this season they're saying the same thing now about Kansas City but I will give that to Kansas City no doubt about it Kansas City is uh they're on another plane offensively like I don't know that we've ever seen two dudes in the same offense that were more unguardable than Kelsey and Tyreek Hill Travis Kelsey shout out Cleveland Heights and Tyreek Hill, those two guys cannot be covered on the same play. One of them is open on every play. It's, it's astonishing. And, and, and that's not even, you know, when you get into the, like the Miko Hardman, he's not that great of a football player, but he's fast as hell. <laughs> and then you have uh, Sammy Watkins, who is a, of a great pedigree as a receiver, and he's a pretty good NFL receiver, but not special. But when you like put all these pieces together and the running backs and stuff like that, it's just like these guys just cannot be stopped. And then Mahomes is his arm uh, talent, which, you know, can't really be questioned mixed with his mobility. They're impossible to stop. And you have to give the Chiefs credit for being a team that overcomes. They're not some front running team that gets up on you and, you know, you but you can't trust them when the, when the money's on the line. That would be the Saints or the Packers, frankly. Kansas City came back multiple times in the AFC playoffs last year. Um, they really got outplayed by San Francisco for 52 minutes in the Super Bowl last year. I'm still hot that they lost that game, the 49ers, because I picked the Niners to win. And they were the better team for 52 out of 60 minutes. And then it all fell apart in the last eight minutes. But that's what Kansas City does. And, and you can't knock them for their ability to come back, their creativity, their guts. They're a real football team. Just because they throw the ball all over the lot doesn't mean that they are soft. You know, they're not soft mentally or physically or anything like that. They're a damn good football team, and they, if, they might be one of the greatest teams we've ever seen. To call them, air quote, better than Tampa makes a ton of sense to me. But that doesn't mean I'm going to pick them, but we'll get to that in a minute. Um, Buffalo, it was great to see Buffalo on this stage. Um, I didn't think that they were ready for this moment just yet. And, you know, I, I sent out another tweet back in October, I think it was, saying Buffalo's got all the pieces to be a Super Bowl contender. And here they are in the Super Bowl. I really wish y'all had more followers, y'all. Please tell somebody to tell somebody to follow your boy because, I, I mean, if I had a nickel for every prediction or thing that I said that came to fruition, I would be 
exceedingly wealthy. I'm just going to put that out there. But at any rate, we saw Buffalo get to this point, but they were aided by teams that they went up against that kept shooting themselves in the foot, which is what we wrote on the 23rd in that column. Baltimore and Indianapolis both largely beat themselves in the game against the Bills that they played. And so when you face Kansas City, it's like they're not going to beat themselves that often. I mean, they they just don't. Even when they do, you know, you're going to hear all these people point to the D Ford offsides play in the AFC Championship game in 2019 that uh, where New England and Brady went into Arrowhead and beat the Chiefs. And D Ford lines up offsides and Brady throws a pick on that play. And if D4 is not offsides, Kansas City goes to the Super Bowl. And then everybody just assumes that they would have won because it fits the narrative that Kansas City's awesome. So they obviously would have beat the Rams. Well, okay. We don't know that, but sure, whatever. We'll go with it. But what we saw in that game was New England had Kansas City down late. They had them down big in the first half, and Kansas City came back. New England scored a go-ahead touchdown with under a minute left, and Mahomes took him right back down the field and got a field goal to force overtime. So I don't doubt Patrick Mahomes' ability. Uh, he's a great, great player, and his talent just illuminates what was already a very promising situation in Kansas City to the point that he now has a 50-touchdown season and the MVP. He's probably going to be MVP runner-up, I think, this year. Um, he might have two Super Bowl MVPs in a couple of weeks and two Super Bowl titles, and he's been a starter for three seasons. It's, it's pretty outrageous what he's doing at this early of a stage in his career. Where I pumped the brakes, though, is calling Patrick Mahomes the GOAT. Because I hear people calling him the GOAT today. (laughs) Like people are saying that Mahomes is the greatest quarterback that ever lived. Like you ever hear, I'm sure everybody's heard this expression. It's pretty played out by this point. But, you know, oh, that guy, that guy, he thinks he's the stuff. He was uh, born on third base and thinks he hit a triple. Patrick Mahomes was born on third base with a, with a and he's and he's leading off and he's halfway down the third baseline that's where he was born at you know what i'm saying you think i'm lying and, I, and this is not to be critical of mahomes because again i would trade him for baker i would trade baker mayfield for him in a heartbeat you all know i'm a browns fan i would trade baker mayfield and everything else in the franchise to get my hands on patrick mahomes okay <laughs> for the browns um is not a criticism of mahomes but we have to put what he is into the proper context. And that requires us to slow down this goat talk that Mahomes gets because when Brady was winning three Super Bowls as a, as a, as a kid in the league and when going 10 and 0 in his first 10 playoff games, everybody still thought Peyton Manning was better to the point that I will never forget in the pregame show leading up to the, the Colts saints Super Bowl. Peyton had one ring that he kind of stumbled into because his defense largely carried him. And then he was in the second Super Bowl that year against the Saints. And they were saying, if he wins this game, Peyton Manning is the greatest that ever did it. And it's like, hello, Tom Brady's still playing. Like, what are y'all talking about? Like, he's not even the best quarterback in the league right now. But they were quick to give it, give it up to Manning. And then it was, and then it was Rodgers' turn. And Rodgers had the juice. So Rodgers wins the Super Bowl early, and then he's throwing up all these incredible numbers, and it's Rodgers is the greatest to ever do it. And Tom Brady just still 
plugging away, winning the AFC East every year, going getting to the conference championship game every year, going to the Super Bowl every other year. But no, Rodgers is the greatest. So whoever is the new hot thing, man, people just can't resist just throwing him in there with the greatest players that ever did it. Patrick Mahomes, as great as he is, is not on that level yet. Here's why. Go back to 2017. It was Alex Smith's last year in Kansas City. Mahomes studied under the tutelage of Alex Smith, who was the starting quarterback for Kansas City at the time. Alex Smith, a guy who's been ridiculed for years at his inability to push the ball downfield. Charlie checked down, you know, noodle arm, whatever you want to call him, whatever the old cliche terms that they throw out to insult quarterbacks who don't throw the ball far down the field or is or is risk averse to a fault. Alex Smith gets all the smoke when it comes to that. In his last year with Kansas City, Alex Smith played 15 games. His team went 9 and 6 when he started. Mahomes started the last game of the season. Alex Smith, what do you think his stats were that year? The guy who lost his job to Kaepernick, the guy who lost his job to Mahomes, the guy who got hurt but overcame in Washington but has never really lived up to his number one overall draft pick billing. Got outshined by Aaron Rodgers, who was in the same draft class. I bet you did not know that Alex Smith completed 67.5% of his passes for 4,000 yards, 26 touchdowns, five interceptions, and he led the NFL in passer rating, 104.7. That was his last year in Kansas City, 2017. He also led the league in adjusted yards per attempt, and interception percentage, and he was sixth in QBR. That's 2017 Alex Smith. What did Alex Smith that year and Patrick Mahomes now have in common? Andy Reid, Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill. Right? Those would be the biggest things, not to mention Eric Fisher, number one overall draft pick at left tackle. Not to mention... You know, other solid weapons around him. They had Kansas City made the playoffs four of the previous five seasons when Alex Smith was the starter with Andy Reid there. Andy Reid comes in, takes Kansas City to the playoffs with Alex Smith four out of five years. Mahomes was, is great enough and gifted enough to take that team and elevate it to a Super Bowl team and elevate it to what could be an all time team, an all time offense. That's the gift of Mahomes. That's therein lies the difference between Mahomes and Alex Smith. But, I mean, are you kidding me? 67% completions, 4,000 yards, 26 TDs, 5 picks, and the best passer rating in the league? You tell me who's a system quarterback. It ain't Tom Brady. Tom Brady's won with a, with a run-first game. He's won where he threw 50 touchdowns. He's won. He's won where... They had uh, tight ends. They had double tight ends, and they were running at that that type of offense. They won with vertical passing. They won with short passing and run game and defense. He's won in a, in a different, entirely different city and team in Tampa this year. He's won. He's won. He's won. He's won. All Mahomes did was come into a ready-made convertible or a Corvette. He just hopped in the front seat of a Corvette and took off down the road. And I'm not knocking him. He's great. But to sit here and suggest that Patrick Mahomes is on par with Tom Brady or any of the other all-time great quarterbacks when he hasn't faced 
one drop of adversity compared to what some of these other guys face. It is mind-boggling. It is staggering that you would put Mahomes in that class. What Patrick Mahomes is, is he is not the greatest quarterback that, all, that ever lived. He, he may be in position to be one day, but I don't think so because these things don't last forever, especially when he starts to get, when that $500 million contract or whatever kicks in, they're not going to have the money to pay these other players and you're going to see uh, Patrick Mahomes be forced to carry the Chiefs more than he does now. And he'll probably be able to do it to a large extent because he's awesome, but that doesn't mean he's going to be carrying them to Super Bowls and that's the difference, right? What Mahomes is, is he's not the greatest quarterback of all time. He is the best quarterback to fall into the best situation that I can never remember. And when I think about other quarterbacks, you know, other quarterbacks that came into situations that may be similar, you know, I think of Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers came in, got to learn under Brett Favre for whatever that was. I know they didn't really get along all the time, but he learned under Favre for some years. I think Aaron sat for three years. And Green Bay was a playoff team. They were like an NFC Championship caliber team. I think of Lamar Jackson in Baltimore. Um, Lamar was, uh, you know, he was picked at the end of the first round, which means he was going to a good team. And he sat for a little bit, kind of came in. They revamped the entire offensive scheme to suit his skill set. Dante Culpepper was another one that came to mind because he was on a Minnesota team that I think already had Chris Carter, Randy Moss, and possibly Drake, Jake Reed at the time, and Robert Smith in the backfield. Like that was an amazing offense, and he just came in and turned the keys just like Mahomes did. Like, and that's what took the Minnesota Vikings to another level when he was there. I think even from when Randall Cunningham was the quarterback, I believe previous to Culpepper. Th- those are the ones that I could come up with off the dome when I was thinking about this. Like, what other quarterbacks have ever walked into a situation better than the situation? that Patrick Mahomes walked into. Mahomes was not the first pick of the draft. I believe he was the 10th pick of the draft. Kansas City traded up to get him, and he held the clipboard for a year under Alex Smith. So he came in with no pressure on him, Mahomes did. Now, granted, there was a little bit of pressure when they jettisoned Alex Smith and and handed the franchise over to him, but it ain't nothing like the pressure that you face being the number one or number two overall pick. So he came in with very little expectations on a veteran team that was already competing in the playoffs year after year. In fact, Kansas city was the sixth best team in the league the year before record wise, when they drafted Mahomes. as mentioned, Eric Fisher was his left tackle. He was a former number one overall pick. He became a two time pro bowler. When Mahomes got there, Mitchell Schwartz was already there. Mitchell Schwartz, former Cleveland Brown was a right tackle that ended up becoming the best right tackle in the game. Two-time, second-team All-Pro, and then he was a first-team All-Pro in 2018, and he was voted Pro Football Focus's best offensive lineman in 2018. That was Mahomes' first year as a starter. Tyreek Hill, in 2017, with old noodle arm, you know, wet napkin arm Alex Smith, Tyreek Hill had nearly 1,200 yards and seven touchdowns, and he was the first-team All-Pro as a punt returner in 2016. Travis Kelsey in 2017, what did he do? He only had a thousand. He only had two consecutive thousand-yard seasons with eight touchdowns, and he was first-team All-Pro in 2016 and second-team All-Pro in 2017 with Alex Smith. These dudes were great before Mahomes ever got there. Andy Reid, offensive mastermind, 
coach Brett Favre in Green Bay during Favre's MVP season. Or seasons, I should say. Coach Donovan McNabb to six Pro Bowls. Coach Michael Vick to Vick's best season in 2010. He won Coach of the Year in 2002 with the Eagles. He took the Eagles to the playoffs nine times and once to the Super Bowl. As mentioned, he took the Chiefs to the playoffs four times before Mahomes ever took a snap. So again, Reed was battle scars. Point, you know, Reed, Andy Reed was proven, dog. He was proven before Pat Mahomes ever took over. Tyreek Hill, proven commodity before Mahomes ever took over. Travis Kelsey, proven commodity before Mahomes ever took over. Offensive line, solid. All pros, pro bowlers before Mahomes, before Mahomes ever took a snap. So I'm not here trying to knock Patrick Mahomes. I'm not saying he's not great. I'm not saying he's not dope. I'm not saying he lacks heart. I'm not saying he lacks intangibles. I'm not saying he lacks talent. I'm not saying he lacks leadership. None of that stuff. He elevated the Kansas City franchise to get them over the hump. Like Andy Reid. Andy Reid was kind of a punchline for a long time. As great as he was, he was kind of a punchline for managing the clock and all that stuff. All that stuff disappeared when Patrick Mahomes became the quarterback. So I'm not saying that Mahomes did not elevate. That's the key word of today's podcast, boys and girls. Mahomes absolutely elevated the Chiefs franchise. But the Chiefs franchise, were, was, they was already on the diving board. <laughs> they were already bouncing up and down on the trampoline, waiting to elevate, willing, waiting to be elevated by somebody like Mahomes. But don't you dare compare that to what we've seen other quarterbacks have to go through, to what we've seen Tom Brady have to go through, to what we've seen Aaron Rodgers have to go through. I think Aaron, DeRo- Aaron Rodgers probably deserves more criticism than he gets on the whole of his career. But we've seen many years where the Packers didn't really do him a ton of favors. And he had a lot of bad injury luck. And he still had that team competing for the NFC crown. Until we see Patrick Mahomes do that, I'm not going to put him on that level of some of these all-time great quarterbacks. I'm just not. He has to do more with less before I'm going to be all-time impressed with Patrick Mahomes. I don't care about his arm talent. He can throw sideways. I don't care about none of that. Okay? Oh, he can throw off-platform and off-schedule. I don't care about none of that. When I look at the GOAT in Tampa Bay, that guy does not have to make plays off schedule because he did all, he did all his homework Monday through Saturday. So he walks up to the line of scrimmage knowing what the defense is about to do, and he's already won the chess match before the ball was even hiked. Okay, that's, that's why this athleticism stuff doesn't mean anything to me. You know what I'm saying? Because Tom Brady is not the best athlete, and he still wins more than everybody else. So that stuff's overrated. Yeah, he's not as mobile as Mahomes. Yeah, he can't throw the ball as far as Mahomes, or he can't throw it while moving or falling to the side or whatever. I don't care, okay? Because I've seen Tom Brady win Super Bowls throwing touchdowns to linebackers. I've seen him do it with garbage defenses. I've seen him do it with a run-first approach. I've seen him do it with a a, a homicidal maniac at tight end. Like, it doesn't matter. He's in the Super Bowl. It does not matter. Let's pump the brakes on Patrick Mahomes. You know what's crazy, too? As we talk about this matchup of Brady and Mahomes, People always, they acknowledge Kelsey and they acknowledge Tyreek Hill and Andy Reid. But they don't ever bring up Patrick Mahomes' help when they talk about his greatness. They just say he's great. But yet, 
Brady's success is knocked all the time because of Belichick, because of the defenses, and even this year. Anytime he had a good game, everybody on Twitter says, look at his weapons. I mean, Mike Evans. It's like they went nowhere with them dudes last year. They they were 9-7 and and sitting at home during the playoffs with that same roster largely last season. Okay? Why is it that Brady gets crap for having weapons? Why is Brady not allowed to have weapons but Mahomes is? They never criticize Mahomes for being in a system. I had to listen to the system crap for 20 years and past like the first three or four seasons, it never made any sense. The argument never held up and that didn't stop the trolls from talking about it for 15 years. System this, system that. Like, what are y'all saying? (laughs) Because we saw the same system with Donovan McNabb, with Michael Vick, and with Alex Smith, and it was successful with all of them. I read off Alex Smith's numbers. Do you want me to read them again? Alex Smith was great with Andy Reid. He just wasn't great to get over the Super Bowl hump. Okay, but the groundwork was already laid, though, when Mahomes got there. He just walked in, man. But Brady's a system quarterback because he's got a defensive guru as head coach. That makes him a system quarterback? What system is it? How come Mahomes isn't a system quarterback? How come Mahomes doesn't get criticized for having a great coach? We've seen Andy Reid have more success with more quarterbacks than we ever saw with Bill Belichick. So why does Belichick get all the credit for New England, but Andy Reid doesn't get all the credit for Kansas City? We got to hear people talking about this 25-year-old as the greatest quarterback that ever lived. They always bring up Tom's division. Oh, he, he won in the AFC least, and it was the Jets and the Dolphins. He beat up on the Bills and blah, blah, blah. They never bring that up with Mahomes. <laughs> Who's he beating? The Raiders? The Broncos? They fell off before Mahomes stepped in. What have the Raiders been the last few years? What have the Chargers been the last few years? Why were the Chargers picking in the top 10 of the draft last year? Are they that good? But nobody ever brings up the division to discredit Mahomes. Why do they bring it up for Brady? I remember they, they used to talk about the Super Bowl drought that Tom had. They brought that up all the time. He went 10 years without winning a ring. Why don't they bring that up for Aaron Rodgers? Why don't they bring that up for Drew Brees? Why don't they ever bring that up for Ben Roethlisberger? Those dudes have not won a title in 10 years. All Hall of Fame quarterbacks. Ain't won Jack in 10 years. Ben Roethlisberger didn't even shake hands with Baker Mayfield after the Browns kicked his ass. All right? But when Brady doesn't shake hands, it's a story. It's a headline. (laughs) Here's my favorite, too. My other favorite, these are all my favorites, is that when Brady wins a game or, or has an accomplishment like going to the Super Bowl or whatever, detractors always say, well, it's a team sport. Well, winning is not a quarterback accomplishment. It's a team accomplishment. They don't say that when it's other quarterbacks, though. That's the problem. I've never heard anybody trash Aaron Rodgers on the basis that the success that he's seen with his team is not Team success, like he's gone to multiple NFC Championship games. He's gone to the NFC title game five times. He's won it once, and he's won a Super Bowl. I've never heard anybody take any of that away from him because it's a team sport. I've never heard anybody say, well, Patrick Mahomes is great, but it's a team sport. I mean, he's not that great because it's a team sport. It's a team accomplishment. Well, he's in the second straight Super Bowl, but, you know, it's a team accomplishment. No, they just say Mahomes is awesome. Like, that's all I hear. It's a different set of rules for Tom Brady than it is Patrick Mahomes. 
And it is for every other quarterback. And I don't understand the hatred for Brady because of it. It's just a different set of rules. The system stuff, the division stuff, the the cheating allegations, I didn't even mention that. Every team's got dirt on their resume. Every team, every team has done some dirt. Some teams have done way worse things than what the Patriots were accused of doing, but they still get on Brady for that to this day. Andrew Luck's footballs were also deflated, according to the Wells Report. Nobody cares. It's, I mean, like, but they only care about Brady because he wins. Like, y'all need to get a life, man. I don't, I don't know. We're never going to get to that point. Oh, and here's one more for the road. <laughs> the era that he plays in. Oh, Tom Brady. Oh, he plays in the passing era. You can't. Oh, Montana's better than him. Marino's better than him. All these other, they're all better than Brady because Brady plays in a passing friendly era. They don't, they legislated out defense. You can't defend anybody anymore, all that stuff. They don't ever say that about Mahomes. They don't ever say that about Rodgers or any of these quarterbacks that are playing right now. And yet Brady's the one guy who's been playing football for 20 years. When Brady came into the NFL, you were still allowed to play defense. You were allowed to hit the quarterback. You were allowed to lead with your helmet, with the crown, and do all that kind of stuff. You were allowed to break guys, dive at their legs and in their knees and blow out their knees and all that other kind of crazy stuff. All that stuff was legal when Tom Brady started playing football. That's how long he's been in the game, literally. You could play defense when Tom Brady was winning his first three Super Bowls. You know, illegal contact wasn't a thing un- until the mid-2000s. You know, prior to that, you could still cover receivers. Tom Brady still had three rings before then. How come they don't say that about Mahomes and the era that he plays in? This pass-happy era, you can't even breathe on a receiver without getting flagged. Somehow, Brady gets criticized for that and Mahomes doesn't, but Brady's been in the game for 15 years longer than Mahomes. Make it make sense, y'all. Anyway, predictions on the Super Bowl. Um, I'm just going to say, I haven't even done dug into it, but I'm just going to tell y'all where I'm leaning right now anyways. I, I, I find it impossible to pick against Tom Brady. If you've been listening to this for 50 minutes, God bless you and I appreciate you. But you know that I'm, I'm, I'm riding with Brady. I, I just don't bet against the guy. I just don't. And he's proven me right way more often than he hasn't. Tampa's defense is for real. And they were good last year. They were pretty good during this season. And they are rounding into form at the right time. Granted, Kansas City took them apart earlier in the year. But the Chiefs kind of slowed up in that game. And it allowed Tampa Bay to get back in it. Both of those left tack or both of those starting tackles that I mentioned for Kansas City, um, Mitchell Schwartz and Eric Fisher are going to miss the game, I'm pretty certain. And we saw what the pass rush did to Aaron Rodgers. Tampa's defense is legit. Kansas City's offense is as dynamic and incredible and amazing and historic as it is. It's one-dimensional. So you got to figure that Tampa is the more well-balanced team. And Kansas City's defense is decent enough, but it ain't Tampa's defense. And we know Tampa can put up points, and we know Brady can put up points. We know, although he didn't yesterday, Brady can play mistake-free football. The one area in which I've noticed Brady slip, and I teased this earlier, I believe that it goes back to the Tom versus time thing. Tom Brady knows that his his biggest uh, opponent that he's trying to vanquish is time itself. It's not it's not anybody on the football field. He didn't beat them all. He slaughtered everybody. It's about can he defy the laws of time, right? Can he prevent his body from aging to the point that he cannot play the game anymore? Tom Brady doesn't stand in and take hits in the pocket. 
When he knows that he's about to get hit, he bails. And that's why you see these about once, maybe twice a game, you'll see Brady just throw a god-awful pass, and sometimes it gets picked off. And he didn't used to do that maybe five years ago in New England, eight years ago in New England, but he does it now. And the reason is, I believe, is because he would rather throw an interception than take a sack. And he would rather risk throwing an interception than get hit hard. And I can't really say that I fault him because if he gets hit hard and injured and goes out, Tampa's not winning anything. So you'd rather live with the interception and hope that you can overcome it than get hit, get injured. And then not only does your team go down to twos, but the whole TB12 brand of defying time, defying the laws of father time, that all goes down the drain too because he got hurt, right? So rather than risking all that, Brady just... You know, like the third interception that you saw against Green Bay, he's, he, as soon as the rush comes, he's falling down, throwing the ball. He's trying to get it out of bounds, but he couldn't get enough mustard on it to get it out of bounds. That's what that is. He didn't want to. He could have stood in there and just taken the hit, and then he would have one less interception than Aaron Rodgers yesterday, and people wouldn't be talking about the disparity in which they played in that game. But no, he he rather would not take that hit and instead kind of fall down, fall out of the way of the pressure, but just get rid of the ball and live with the results. And that may be the thing that prevents him from winning this game in the Super Bowl. That's it's quite possible because Kansas City's not gonna fail to capitalize on mistakes like Green Bay did. But I'm I'm still picking Tampa to win. Um, that I mean, like Kansas City, I have no issue with anybody saying Kansas City's better. Um, Kansas City probably should win the game, but I believe Tampa's a more well-rounded team, and I don't bet against number twelve. I just don't do it, so I'm not going to. Maybe the Chiefs will lose. Maybe they'll have a, a bad injury or two. Maybe Andy Reid will retire, and then we get to see what Patrick Mahomes is made of. <laughs> That's how I look at it. But I, I don't know. We'll see if we end up doing another Super Bowl uh, piece between now and then. I don't know if I'm going to do that. But I just like Tampa's defense, man. I like Tampa's defense, and, and I love their quarterback, and I love the way that he shifted the culture when he went down there, man. So, yeah, give me the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Forget all the haters because the haters had them – bowing out in the first round of the playoffs before the season anyway, or not making the playoffs. And here they are back where Tom Brady belongs in the Super Bowl. Goat talk. Flipping to the NBA real quick in the last few minutes. Um, I wanted to talk about the Brooklyn Nets. Um, we know the Nets have, have gotten off to a, a, a kind of a weird start with this team. They got Kevin Durant, right? And then they got Kyrie. Well, they had Kyrie Irving. Then they got Kevin Durant. Durant was hurt. Of course. We didn't know what they were going to be, but I was of the belief that the Nets are going to go to the NBA Finals just with Durant and Kyrie. But Kyrie keeps doing this weird stuff, man. I don't understand what he's on. And I've been a longtime defender of Kyrie Irving um, just in terms of his talent. You know, I believe that he's more talented than Damian Lillard. He's more talented than Stephen Curry. But much like the quarterback position, talent does not always make a great player. Talent alone, anyway. Um, I've never seen a talent quite like Kyrie Irving, but the stuff that that dude does, you know, it just doesn't make any sense, you know, like, and, and I'm with him for doing all the wonderful things he's doing in the community. I wholeheartedly appreciate and support all of that. But when you see him talking about, he's not talking to the media this season, like he's like, he's like abstaining from talking to the media for the whole year. And then he goes on and he does this weird stuff. Like, <laughs> moments later like you just like you just cut to Kyrie and he's burning sage on the court before the game and then you see and I saw people like defending that behavior like 
it's perfectly normal. Like, this is why Kyrie doesn't talk to the media because the media are blowing this out of proportion. It's like, come on, bro. Nobody burns sage on the court before the game. If Kyrie Irving pulled up a chair and a tray and sat down at center court of the Boston Garden before the game and ate his dinner during shoot-around, would that be strange behavior? Everybody eats dinner before the game. That's normal. Yeah, but not everybody does it on the court before the game, okay? So that's the difference. So, no, yeah, you go around burning sage on the court, people are going to raise an eyebrow and be like, what's with this dude? And that doesn't make them wrong for questioning it. And it doesn't make the media wrong for wanting to ask you questions. Kyrie Irving keeps doing stuff to make him more interesting to the media. And it warrants a desire for people to want to talk to him and learn more about it. Get some understanding. Understand the context. I can tell you as a PR person, (laughs) my day job. If you don't control the narrative, people will control it for you. So if you want to sit here and say, I'm not talking to the media this year, and then you keep doing all this this wacky stuff on your off days or just leaving the team and not telling nobody where you're going. Yeah, people are going to control the narrative and then say, this dude's a clown. This dude's not coming to work. This dude's quit on his team. This dude is this and that. He's immature or whatever. You're allowing them to fill in the blanks with whatever they want because you're opting not to talk to people. And then you want to like point the finger back at them like they're the problem. Like, nah, bro, just show up for work. Like you're paid to play basketball. So like all this other stuff that you're doing in the community is amazing and fantastic. And I'm glad he does it, but you should still go to work. Am I crazy? That's the, that's my thing with Kyrie is that he just keeps doing stuff that makes people want to talk to him, talk about him, wonder aloud about him. And then, and then he, and then he doesn't talk to anybody and then gets mad when people fill in the blanks. Well, don't give people any blanks to fill in. And then when he tries to give an explanation, it's weird. Like, or it's just, it's just, it's off base. It doesn't add up. There's something, there's things that are amiss with it that maybe could be clarified during an interview. But ever since that first take, that first take interview that he did after he left Cleveland, it's never been the same. I don't know, man. He's a gifted basketball mind and player, but I, I, I just, I just fail to see how he blames the media for everything and people around him, people that support him, co-sign that behavior and that line of thinking, that thought process. Like, yeah, sometimes the media, the media is to blame. Yeah, sometimes the media does do black athletes and black people in general wrong. I don't doubt any of that. In fact, I co-sign all that stuff. But that doesn't mean you get to just quit work and quit on your teammates and your team or just, yeah, I ain't gonna say quit. That doesn't mean you get to just not show up. Show up. What's hard about that? Maybe this is why New I almost said New Jersey. Maybe this is why Brooklyn feels the need to go out and get a James Harden. He's consistent. He's uh he shows up every day. Well, I got so much heat for James Harden right now, y'all. I I don't even know what to do with it. James Harden wanted a huge contract when he went to Houston, um and he got it. Um I think that's part of the reason why he left Oklahoma City. He might have wanted to stay there, but I think he wanted a crack at having his own team and he definitely wanted to get paid and who could blame him? But he goes to Houston and he asks for Dwight Howard. And this isn't going to be stuff that y'all haven't heard before, probably. But I'm going to take it a step further because I really don't like James Harden. He goes and gets Dwight Howard or Houston does for him. And he bails on that, says Dwight doesn't work. Get him out of here. Houston acquiesces. It took some it takes him a second. They get rid of Dwight. It takes him a second, but they bring in Chris Paul. Harden was like, cool. 
Chris Paul balled for Houston. His statistics went down because Harden is so ball dominant, but he was still hooping. He comes in. They almost get to the finals, which CP3 led them to, not James Harden, but Chris Paul got hurt. Eventually, he got frustrated. He bailed on him. Said, give me Russell Westbrook. They do. They trade Chris Paul out of town in one of the worst trades of the decade. They bring in Russell Westbrook. That goes for about a year. Harden bails on that, says, I don't, I, get me out of here. And then he, once Westbrook gone, like co- pointing the finger at every turn. Get, dr- get Dwight out of here. Get Chris out of here. Get Russ out of here. Bring me John Wall. John Wall comes in. Then Harden says, get me out of here. And then he had the audacity to say, but only trade me to a list of these contenders. <laughs> and somehow Houston did it for him. I don't even know how. The same GM wasn't even there, and they still did it for him. But let's take you back real quick. 2012 NBA Finals. Harden was coming off the bench for Oklahoma City. All his numbers hit the toilet. 12 points a game, three assists, two and a half turnovers, 37% field goal shooting, 31% from three. That was the first inkling that we received that James Harden wasn't built for primetime. 2013, Oklahoma City is down 3 nothing. Uh, when he, this is when he was in Houston now. He was down 3 nothing to Oklahoma City in the first round. Without Westbrook, in game six, Harden shot seven for 22 and had four turnovers in a loss. 2014, game six, round one against the Blazers. Harden was two points on one for four shooting, two rebounds in the fourth quarter, and they lost. Uh, 2015, <laughs> game six, round two against the Clippers. Harden was two points on one for seven. In that second half comeback that uh, that actually they actually beat the Clippers that year, but Harden sat the bench with a towel over his face as Corey Brewer and Josh Smith went off. Harden had nothing to do with it. They got to the conference finals. Harden had little to do with it. Even in game seven of that same series. In game seven, Harden scored a lot of points, but he shot seven for 20 and had seven turnovers in that game. In the 2015 Western Conference Finals, um, he had three great games, but he had two duds. And in the closeout game, He shot two for 11, had 14 points and 12 turnovers, which I believe is a record in the NBA playoffs. 2016, first round against Golden State, shot 41% from the field, 31 from three, five turnovers a game in the the five-game series loss. 2017, game six against the Spurs, no Kawhi. 10 points on two for 11 shooting, six turnovers and six fouls in a 39-point loss. 2018, Chris Paul had him up 3-2 against Golden State. Paul had outplayed Harden in the fourth quarter of game four to tie the series. And then again, thoroughly uh, in the second half of game five, that put Houston up three to two. And Chris Paul got hurt. Well, what does game Harden do? What does James Harden do in game six? What happened in game six and game seven? Well, they lost game six by 29 points. And then in game seven was the game that everybody remembers where Houston went ice cold and nobody could throw a beach ball in the ocean. If they were standing on the beach, Harden shot under 42% and uh, from the field and under 24% on threes while averaging seven turnovers per game to end the series. In the bubble in 2020, game seven, he got shut down by Lou Dort. <laughs> Harden was four for 15 from the field, one for nine on threes. Uh, he did get the block on Dort to end the game, but then what happened when they went to the Lakers in round two? They were down two to one in game three. Harden sh- shot two for 11, had five turnovers, and Houston lost game five by 23 points. 
So now fast forward to this year. He gets Russell Westbrook traded. He gets fat. He's out of shape. He shows up late. He doesn't call his coach. He breaks protocols. He gets suspended or banned. He doesn't talk to anybody. And then he demands a trade to a contender. And then he had the audacity when people called him on all this crap to then say, man, I thought we wasn't supposed to bring black people down, black unity, blah, blah, blah. As if you cared about any of that stuff when your black coach, who was a rookie coach, couldn't even get you on the phone or your black teammates that you sold out. So I have a conclusion that I've reached amassing all of this knowledge about James Harden over the last several years. Here's what I've concluded. James Harden is the least likable athlete in professional sports. Let's just start there. Like there, he should have no fans. <laughs> he should have no fans whatsoever. Nobody should like James Harden at this point. If you like James Harden, I have to question your judgment in general. You know, because everybody picks on all these other players for all these different things. And you really, there's, there's a one-stop shop for hatred that exists. And his name is James Harden. We, we misplace so much of this energy a lot of times. And people think Chris Paul is a choker in the playoffs. That's not true. If you want to hate on somebody that chokes in the playoffs consistently, don't hate Chris Paul. Hate James Harden. If you want to hate somebody, and again, this is sports hate, mind you, not literally, but, you know, if you want to hate somebody that is of this AAU era and wants to just be catered to constantly, wants to jump from team to teams and always have superstar teammates by his side, never wants to take any of the blame or be the leader himself, don't hate LeBron. People hate LeBron for that because they say he started when he went to Miami. No, don't hate LeBron. Hate James Harden. If you want to hate somebody who pouts and quits on their team and forces their way out of town, don't hate Anthony Davis. Hate James Harden. If you want to hate somebody who likes to point fingers at everybody else around him when he comes up short and is just an all-around bad teammate and just a, a bad time to be around, don't hate Paul George. That's not Paul George. That's James Harden. If you want to hate somebody who gets over on a style of play or a system, don't hate Steph Curry. No. Hate James Harden. James Harden did all that stuff, put up all those numbers in Houston, and it meant nothing because he flamed out in the playoffs every single year. He never put up those same numbers or duplicated that performance when it really counted. All he did was have the highest usage rate in NBA history. He just dominates the ball all game and puts up these crazy stats because he shoots a lot he's not even a great shooter he's like a career 36 percent three-point shooter he's like a career 43 44 percent shooter from the floor if that he's not he's a very good passer but he racks up assists mainly just because he has the ball on his hands all the time you know what i'm saying like he he and then he got in the mike d'antoni system and they put the ball in his hands even more so no don't hate steph curry because of the warrior system you can hate james harden if you want to hate somebody who just racks up a bunch of empty stats but doesn't win anything, no, I don't hate Russell Westbrook. Russ Westbrook plays his heart out every time, always plays his heart out. But you can hate James Harden, though. If you want to hate somebody who's a great player but has, like, no leadership intangibles whatsoever, like none to speak of, no, I don't hate Kawhi Leonard. Hate James Harden. If you want to hate somebody who jumps to a great team or tries to jump to a great team to get a ring to then boost his legacy, don't hate Kevin Durant for that. You can definitely hate James Harden for that. Hate the beard, okay? The beard is trying to jump on the Brooklyn Nets, and then if the Brooklyn Nets happen to win an NBA championship this year because they have Harden being the third wheel to two proven playoff performers like Kyrie and Kevin Durant, what's Harden going to do? He's going to take credit for it, and then we got all these Harden sycophants out here that are going to sit around and say how he's one of the 20 greatest players ever because he got a ring. Hell no. 
We saw that guy drop the ball way too many times. So no. You want to hate somebody who's just a general weirdo off the court? Don't hate Kyrie. Hate James Harden. If you want to hate somebody who's considered to be an Uncle Tom, no, don't hate Charles Barkley. Hate James Harden. James Harden wore a Blue Lives Matter mask last summer. Okay? Didn't give his black coach a chance. Quit on his black teammates. And then he wants to say, I thought black men were all supposed to stick together. But Man, please. If you want to hate somebody who's supposed to be a star player but doesn't show up in shape, don't hate Shaquille O'Neal. Hate James Harden. If you want to hate somebody who just likes to dribble and shoot and make his teammates stand in a corner and watch, don't hate Kobe. Hate James Harden. You can hate James Harden for anything. Un- everything under the sun. Everything rolled up into one. Everything that's a bad teammate or exemplifies being a front runner, a bad teammate, somebody who just cares about themselves, somebody who doesn't want to put the work in, somebody who does not have a foxhole mentality, somebody you can't go to battle with, somebody that you can't count on. If you hate all that stuff in your athletes, hate James Harden because James Harden has all of it. He's got it all, man. He's the total package of hate, okay? He should have no fans. His his family shouldn't even like him on the court, okay? I don't ever want to hear anybody talk to me about his greatness, okay? All he does is score points through smoke and mirrors. He bends the rules. He gets garbage whistles from officials all season long, and an official swallow the whistle in the playoffs. Suddenly, he's not getting to the foul line, and James Harden's out of answers. If you want to hate somebody who is always getting a favorable whistle from the refs, don't hate Michael Jordan. Hate James Harden, okay? And he can't overcome it, can he? He never does. Okay, and he, he has all these little step back moves and he carrying the ball and, and, and you know, triple step back and he gets away with travels and all that crap. <laughs> it's unfair, man. If you want to hate somebody that bends the rules to their advantage, don't hate Wilt Chamberlain or Kareem. Hate James Harden. Okay, they had to change the rules for those guys. They said, no, nah, you guys are too good. James Harden just gets to play by his own rules. He gets to take three and a half steps on a step back. And then he ends up with 30,000 points when he retires and everybody talks about how great James Harden was. Give me a break. All right, I'm done, y'all. I'm out of time. I'm out of here. Jay Hicks, Hip Hop Sports Support. Thank you for listening. Um, You know, we're going to be on Twitter talking more about the Super Bowl, uh, trashing James Harden, and just doing what we do, man. But I appreciate y'all listening. Y'all know where to find us, hiphopsportsreport.com. Jay Hicks is out of here. We'll talk to you soon. Peace.